Hello, listener, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Lopsided Free Podcast. This is your weekly roundtable discussion of all of the best and biggest football games, stories, transfers, and so much more. As always, I'm your host, James Gray, and this week the Lopsided Free Podcast is back to its full complement of host and co-host James Arnold is back with us to record this week's episode. As always, he is joined by our other permanent co-fixture of this podcast, that is Mr Thomas Hill. Fellas, how are we both doing this Sunday afternoon slash evening? Are we ready to record tonight's podcast? Yeah, for sure. Good to be back. I thought Will did a stellar job despite his comments in our group chat. It is harder than you think to record these, to be fair. Like you, you struggle with what you've actually got to think and say in the moment. So I appreciate him standing in for me again. Yeah, I thought he did really well. So that's obviously going to get him on side for when we're talking about United in a minute. But yeah, good to be back. Obviously, last week had other things on, including watching the F1. But, you know, we're not going to question my commitment. It is here. It so happens this week, the Formula One's on at an earlier time and therefore I could record it. But yeah, good to be back. <laughs> Yeah, looking forward to this week's podcast. Lots to talk about this week for sure. Good weekend for me personally with Norwich actually getting a win again. So yeah, good good vibes only on this week's podcast, I think, for me. Super stuff. Well, as you have both teed up brilliantly, there is a lot to get stuck into in this week's episode. Of course, we'll be starting off by discussing the breaking news that emerged this morning around Oli Gunnar Solskjaer losing his job and being sacked as Manchester United manager. In addition to that, we'll be discussing the latest round of Premier League fixtures from across this weekend, which include Liverpool's thrashing of Arsenal and the Chelsea machine rolling on against Leicester. And as always, we will be finishing with our usual fantasy football segment. If you, the listener, would like to get involved with any of the discussions, any of the debates that we have in this week's episode, you can do so by following us on our social media, whether that is at Twitter, using our handle at Lopsided Free, or by simply typing into your search bar on Facebook, the Lopsided Free podcast, where you can quite conveniently check out our brand new logo, courtesy of the brilliant Luke Barton. So thank you very much for that, Luke. Now, as always, we've got another packed episode to get stuck into, so let's not waste any more time and let's get into it. And once again, we're going to be starting off with Manchester United. It feels like Groundhog Day again with this podcast. Every week we seem to be discussing them. This week, for slightly different reasons, we'll come on to the game yesterday, which ultimately led to this this decision this morning, but the big news that broke was that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, as I've alluded to already, was sacked this morning as Manchester United manager after nearly three years in charge. Michael Carrick, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's assistant, has been placed in temporary charge of the team until, as the club have said in their statement, an interim appointment can be found and put in place until the end of the season, I guess. The first thing to come on to about this sort of decision that's led to Solskjaer being sacked is, I suppose, (laughs) was it the right decision to sack him yesterday? Should it have happened several weeks ago when there were probably better options on the table? I guess I'm, I'm getting at Antonio Conte more specifically there. I actually think the board have failed Solskjaer a bit, to be fair. If they'd have sacked him a few weeks ago, it probably would have still been in the same sort of circumstance where 
he wasn't doing a great job and probably having almost longed it out a few weeks it feels like he's got unnecessary criticisms it was inevitable that he was going to go and actually in that interview he gave yesterday after the game I really ended up feeling sorry for him he he just looked so finished with it utterly dejected and I think that's really sad considering his legacy as a player obviously he'll always be remembered for what he did for United as a player but I think that has just now almost soured that relationship between him and the club and I think that is just down to the board ultimately I don't know what you think on that but yeah that's my taking of the the sacking being done now I guess yeah I think I think it it's definitely happened too late I mean Solskjaer has definitely had his successes at United but this has come this has come a lot later than maybe it should have and I'm not even necessarily talking about a couple of weeks ago when Conte you know was available or what have you I think that's that's a good example of how for a long time now United have probably known deep down that they need to upgrade on Solskjaer as well as he's done in certain things there's certainly been a more positive environment since he's been around but I mean if you look at yeah the tactical shortcomings and some of the some of the coaching compared to you know other top clubs around at the moment I think they could have been good justification to get rid of Solskjaer a long time previous. Even when they're on good runs of form, you could see you could see the same structural problems that they've got right now, and they've they've not acted time and time again. And you know they've obviously finally dealt you know wielded the axe now, but I fear they might have missed some better opportunities with coaches you know coming in and going out of other clubs. I guess I guess a point that could be made is that the defeats. We didn't really learn anything new. They weren't like new discoveries that the team was playing in this way or those results weren't shocks. They are historically a smaller team, but again, like the writing was on the wall and is yesterday's result necessarily a shock? I don't really think so. Maybe just the manner it happened. But again, like those those weaknesses have been there for weeks now. Touching on what you said, James, to begin with, I, I agree with you. It was painful yesterday seeing the way that Solskjaer bowed out, if you will, going over, as you say, to to apologise to the fans at the end. I think, like you said, I think it. I don't know whether it sours his his relationship or his legacy as a player at the club, but I think it certainly sours the legacy he'll leave as a manager because I think it should be worth mentioning the fact that the first two years, although albeit he didn't win a trophy, he did improve league finishes season upon season. You could argue that the consistency in performances wasn't necessarily always there, but he did he did achieve one-off results on occasion. He had a great record, for example, against Pep Guardiola at Manchester City. And I do just think the way that it's been allowed to finish, I think that will sour how he's remembered as a manager more than anything. I suppose focusing on what's to come next, we've obviously talked about their sort of the options that, or some of the options that they, they've missed out on potentially. But when we look around at who is available at the moment and the firm favourite with a lot of the bookies is, Zinedine Zidane what do we think about that as an appointment do we think that that could be something that could work whether that be as a short-term appointment until the end of the season or whether it could be something that could work longer term I'm interested to to know what you both think on that I think Zidane probably is the most suitable option I think it's not a surprise that with the managers the names that are being banded about he's he is the favorite obviously it helps that he's out of a job at the moment so that makes it a bit easier logistically. But I think as well, when you look at... There are, there are some good managers, for sure, that United could potentially bring in. But Zidane does feel like the right mix of experience, proven success, the way that he's been able to deal with 
you know, lots of lots of big players and big egos at Real Madrid and playing, you know, I'm just sorry, not play, but manage a team that does some sometimes focus a little more on individuals and isn't maybe as tactically, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, tactically rigid as, as, you know, some of the other top managers around. And that might potentially be quite a good fit for United. I'm going to say something quite controversial and go with the fact that I don't think Zidane would be the right fit for United, to be fair. I'm not overly convinced by his achievements today. And I know that sounds a really outlandish thing to say. Quite a lot of his success was was at that Real Madrid team when they had Ronaldo and were essentially the best team in the world by quite a distance. No one was really even close to them at the time they won those four Champions Leagues. Uh, I know a friend of mine will say it was a legacy of the Mourinho era and it was a Mourinho team that essentially won those Champions League. I don't think that's true, but I think it's just more to do with how good that team was the fact he was an icon at that club and gaining the respect of those players was that much easier. Whoever comes into this job now just has to be a very strong character, in my opinion. I think Zidane might have that, to be fair. Like, he, he does seem to be a strong character to deal with those players at Real Madrid. But all I'm saying is, I think that Bruno Fernandes reaction at the end of the game yesterday, essentially saying like the players were to, to blame for for the game yesterday. I think that's very true. But then you have to ask the questions of those players and why they're not performing. I think, I think to be fair, at times they've looked very petulant and childish and certainly like the Harry Maguire reaction to scoring against San Marino or... No, not San Marino, sorry, Albania. It was just so hard to believe that he could actually do that. How is that silencing anyone scoring a simple header against a really awful position that's like going into the FA Cup and playing a team like I, I don't know haven't Waterlooville for United and then scoring a two-yard tap it's 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 quite ridiculous so I think whoever comes into that job just has to you know instill that that sort of well just get back to to what it was and United is a massive club and they need to respect the club and they need to be playing for the club I don't think that's what they, they have been doing recently. In all fairness, of the two sort of opinions you've both expressed that, I would lean more with James and actually say, I have more reservations than I would, I guess, plus points coming in if, if Zidane were to be appointed. And the only reason I say that is because we've seen with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, a manager who quite clearly is probably, I think it's fair to say, more of a man manager than a coach. And I get, and I might be belittling Zidane as a coach here, but I get the impression that that's what he did at Real Madrid. He knew the dressing room. He knew the club. As James said, he had the best team in the world at his disposal at that point in time. And I do just wonder whether it was a case of it was just the perfect fit. And I don't know whether he would be able to take that to Manchester United, a worse team, and get the same results when you're competing in a league with Jurgen Klopp, Guardiola. Conte, Tuchel, all these brilliant world-class managers. So those would that would be my reservations about Zidane as being appointed as a manager. But then who else is there? Who else do you go for? And it's it's a situation that the club have created for themselves, really. I just it's it's hard to see a way out unless you do just wait to the summer and hope that someone gets sacked, someone becomes available that that could compete with those those world-class managers. But it's it's hard to see a way out otherwise. Yeah, I think that was my point, really. Sorry, I was just gonna say, you know, when I was talking about Zidane there. I think the key thing I said was, you know, I think he's the best of the options around. I don't think he's a perfect fit by any means. But to be fair, you, 
Uh, with the man-manager point, I, I definitely think Zidane is probably more of a man-manager than a tactician in the same way that that definitely applies to Solskjaer. But I, I do think there are some big differences in there. Like, for me, Solskjaer was never the right fit for United. And I do think, you know, he had he had successes and he brought a positive atmosphere back and he brought a bit of joy into, you know, especially the attacking play at United at times. But I think there are levels to the way, to the discipline. And we've seen that. I mean, it's certainly not the first time that we've seen players kind of lose faith around a manager when results aren't going the right way. And if they think the manager or want the manager to be going out the exit door, sometimes performance levels do drop a bit. But yeah, I think there have been shortcomings in the standards set at Man United. And that is largely, you know, the responsibility of the manager. And I think when you look at, I mean, Arnold's right, Zidane did have, you know, he did have a bit of a, you know, easier entrance possibly at Real Madrid and others might have because he was a club legend and because he was so highly regarded. But I think if you look at Zidane's stature in, you know, football all around the world, anyone will respect Zinedine Zidane at Zinedine Zidane when he walks into the dressing room, I think. And, you know, it's not just Real Madrid. He'll, if he comes in at United, I think he'll immediately have a greater level of respect for what he's done as a player and a coach now. On the game itself, United defensively were a horror show once again. As James touched on, Harry Maguire was sent off. David De Gea made an error for João Pedro's goal, despite having his penalty heroics in the first half against Ismail Assar. And from a Watford perspective, in so many ways, it's a real turnaround, actually, from just a month ago when they looked in absolute disarray had just sacked Cisco Munoz, lost their first game of of the Claudio Ranieri era 5-0, to now having thrashed Manchester United 4-1, gone away to Goodison Park and beat Everton 5-2. They seem to be on a bit of an upward turn in terms of momentum and results at this moment in time. See, I thought this, and then I actually looked into it further, because I think think what's been in the forefront of our mind is the 5-2 against Everton and the 4-1 yesterday against United. But in between that, they have lost 1-0 against Arsenal and someone else near the bottom of the table. I can't remember. Southampton. I think it was Southampton. Southampton. Yes, you're right. You are right. Southampton. But yeah, it's certainly been exciting, hasn't it? You know, 17 goals in those three games, maybe a little um, lower in the two in between, obviously. Both of those were one nils. But yeah, yeah, it's certainly exciting for Watford. I do worry how sustainable it is because you definitely can't expect these sort of results against those level of opposition that often certainly the United one it's the perfect time to play them at the moment isn't it they're just so devoid of confidence that it did just play into their hands I think the one thing Ranieri has really got going for him is that he's got those strikers and attackers who are all really exciting players finally firing which was something Munoz was struggling with certainly King he's scored four or five now in his first four or five games under Ranieri Jao Pedro obviously got his first goal in the Prem I want to say I don't know if that's right but yeah and then obviously Emmanuel Dennis as well and then Saar obviously has taken off where he already was under Munoz but yeah again just keeping that consistency with Saar is again a massive thing and so if they could score this level of goals then they'll certainly be closer to the mid-table than they will to relegation. So at the moment, it does seem like a justified change to get rid of Munoz. Yeah, I think it's been a good start for Ranieri. I mean, obviously a club like Watford, you know, coming in, it's not going to be easy and they have had a few disappointing results. But, I, you know, if you look at that United game, United were very poor. There's no doubt about that. And they 
gave Watford opportunities and openings. But Watford played very much on the front foot. They were very aggressive and they really took the game to Man United. And Man United are a team who, as Arnold says, are you know, not in the best of ways right now and it's a good time to play them. But they're still a team with a lot of quality. And I think it shows how much Watford went at them and got at them and showed real quality to be able to dismantle you know, a team with, with the player, calibre of players that Man United have. And the way that they were able to dismantle them does show positive things from a Watford point of view. The biggest compliment also is that it could have been six or seven. Realistically, four <laughs> was quite an achievement on United's parts, to be honest, because, you know, <laughs> like, again, like they missed a penalty. There's your fifth right there. And they, they did have more chances beyond that. United were, again, very poor. Defensively, a shambles. All right, moving on to one of the other big results that happened yesterday. We'll move to Anfield, Liverpool thrashing Arsenal. 4-0 again, it seems to be a regular scoreline that we see at Anfield every single year at the moment, Liverpool against Arsenal. Goals coming from Sadio Mane, Diego Jota, Salah and Takumi Minamino. It was one of those games actually that kind of felt like I don't know if either of you saw the game live and you you saw the clash that happened between Mikel Arteta and Jurgen Klopp on the sideline. It seemed to really ignite the crowd, which in turn the, the players started to feed off and sort of really brought the game to life. I mean, Arsenal going into the game were the form team in the league. They were eight unbeaten previously to yesterday and yet they still lost by such a wide margin I mean Tom I'll come to you first on this for the Liverpool perspective but how impressed were you with the the performance from Liverpool to bounce back after obviously losing against West Ham just before the international break yeah I very much liked what I saw it's always obviously important to you know bounce back from a really disappointing defeat but I think also I saw genuine changes from how they played against West Ham and then how they approached it against Arsenal. I think Liverpool started the game really slower than they they often do. You know, usually you expect Liverpool to come flying out the gates, especially at Anfield, and really take the game to their opponents, try and blow them away in the first 20 minutes, half an hour, and then the game's won. But this time, I think they, they started a lot more reserved and measured, and they wanted to, I think they wanted to close those gaps, which were so wide open against West Ham. And... Obviously, as you say, the um, that incident on the touchline between Klopp and Arteta definitely did get the crowd going. And I think once once the crowd started to get a bit more into it, Liverpool just grew into the game and kind of exerted more and more confidence. Obviously, Arsenal... I think Arsenal had quite a good start. I think they were they're pressing Liverpool well at the start and there was good shape. But as the game wore on, it just became so difficult for a team who are still kind of transitioning... Um, as a club and improving to you know to maintain those standards for 90 minutes and I think that's what you saw with Liverpool they just consistency was key and they just took them apart really as the, more and more as the game went on. Firstly I do want to pay Arsenal a compliment for their recent form because I think we have been very negative towards them throughout our term as podcast hosts but yeah, I think their summer additions have bedded in really well. Ben White and Ramsdale have been brilliant. And in the summer, I know we questioned the fees that were paid for those. But I actually think it's interesting if you compared them to, say, someone like United, who we we were really positive towards their signings in the summer. They looked like great signings. And actually, the reverse of fortunes has been the case for Arsenal and United. Um, so, yeah, they've done some really smart work there and are clearly getting results. On the other hand, you have to be fair when you're talking about this game. And I think it's a case of what can we say about Arsenal that we haven't said before? You know, like, I think it further demonstrates their inability at this point in time to compete against 
the biggest clubs in England and maybe even Europe if they were to get back into it. I think they were really naive in the way they approached the game, to be honest. This was one of the world's best pressing teams and they were trying to play it out from the back. You know, I know it's like the Arsenal way, but I think that in itself is the problem I had with it. The phrase Arsenal always try and play it in comes to mind. It, it, it seems like we've had these criticisms throughout the Wenger period. And, and this comes with like the how they approach big games as well. And I, I just don't see any real changes on that front I guess Liverpool played very well and they made this Arsenal team look very average at times but I think they were again the masses of their own downfall especially like Tavares he he had quite a an awful game at left back obviously gave the ball to Jota for that goal but he could have given the ball away three or four times leading to goals and it was just lucky that he didn't if anything I think I kind of agree with what you're saying, but one thing I would say is like I, I do see some progress in what Arsenal are trying to do. It obviously didn't work out for them very well in the end, but especially in the first half, Arsenal were having some success. I think in, in Liverpool's final third, they were shocking and they really didn't produce anything. But I think if you were to compare, and I think it's quite a good comparison to make in some ways, for the Liverpool 5-0 win over United and then the Liverpool 4-0 win over Arsenal. So scoreline, they're pretty similar. But if you look at the actual games, Arsenal, I thought, played reasonably well in the first half and gave Liverpool quite a good test. Liverpool obviously came through in the end and I thought they were excellent this weekend. Whereas you compare it to the United game and Liverpool really weren't that sensational, but United just gave them openings right from the start. And Liverpool, you know, obviously are a team with some very clinical attacking players and they took advantage of that. But I saw... In and amongst the definite naivety of some players and the, the mistakes, I saw, I, yeah, I saw a direction there, and I saw, you know, maybe a, a lack of execution at times, and maybe some poor decision making here or there. But you can see what Mikel Arteta is trying to do with them, and in the end of the day, to a point, I think you've got to, you know, you've got to try and play that way and keep doing that against the biggest teams to, you know, get that practice in. It's not gonna, it's not just gonna instantly click. So, I mean. As you said, if it, you know, Arsenal were kind of trying to do to Liverpool what Liverpool already masters at. So maybe it wasn't the most wise game plan in terms of winning the game. But I think Arsenal were always, you know, strong underdogs in this game. So I, I can kind of I can kind of respect the way that they went at it. And as I say, it obviously didn't work out too well in the end, but I, I did see promising signs from them earlier in the match. Maybe that's fair. I, I, I just think again, Ramsdale had a very good game in goal. And had it not been for moments of brilliance from himself this scoreline could have been a lot bigger I, I don't want to compare it to the United game because I think that was over within the first sort of 20 minutes and the only reason it was 5-0 was because Liverpool chose it to be 5-0 if that makes sense that could have easily been 10-0 like that was how bad United were in that performance Arsenal was certainly miles above that but I, I think then you have to compare where those two teams are at and you'd have to say, Arsenal, this is the manager that they want to take them forward. And I just, I'm not sure you can sort of accept 4-0 thrashings to the teams you want to be up against. I, I, I'm not saying Artes is doing a bad job, because I think actually at this moment in time, he's doing a very good job. But I just think at times they need to have a plan B. And maybe that's playing the ball longer or stuff like that. Or even, and I know this is a ridiculous thing to do, but playing for a draw so so having like a really deep 
defensive line, two defensive midfielders, being quite negative to be positive almost. That's an interesting point you make, actually, in terms of whether they need to become slightly more street smart and have a, a plan B up their sleeve in terms of if, if plan A isn't going right. What I wanted to put to both of you then is we think Arsenal are, are going in the right direction. They're on an upward trajectory. Where do we think they can still improve? Is it in terms of players? Is it in terms of how they're coached and what, and how they their, their style of play, essentially? I think for me, it's mostly the coaching and the system and just getting that refined. I do think there are, you know, there are improvements that they could make in terms of personnel. But I think if you look at the majority of the season, they've got a lot of good young players coming through. You've got some excellent, you have got some excellent players in there already. I'm thinking, you know, Thomas Partey and Abamyang. I mean, maybe you need to start looking on from Abamyang now with him only getting older. But there is definite quality in there. Arnold mentioned, you know, Ben White and Aaron Ramsdale, and they're looking, yeah, like excellent signings. I think the partnership in defence of White and Gabriel is looking quite good. There are, there are definitely um, signings that they could make to improve the team. But what I see is a team that is getting better at what they're trying to do. It's just, it does take a little bit of time. I do think Arnold's right. They probably do need a bit more of a plan B, you know, to make it difficult for a team like Liverpool because they're not on that level yet. And they're not going to beat a team like Liverpool or Man City by playing them at their own game. They're not good enough to do that yet. But with the young talent they've got in the squad, you know, the likes of you know, Saka and Smith-Rowe, uh, I think there's a lot to build upon with what Arsenal already have. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one, that question, to be fair. Certainly from the coaching point of view, I think there needs to be a bit more pragmatism, taking every game as it is rather than attacking each game in the same sort of way. I imagine there is some sort some element of that, but we just don't see it. And like because Liverpool were that good, maybe it didn't reflect in this game. From from a personnel point of view, I think it's a really fair point that this team will naturally improve because of how young those players are. Given two, three years, the base level of that squad will be a lot better than it is now. So I think there is an element of giving it time. I think, unfortunately for Arsenal, and maybe this is a bit harsh on Aubameyang, but you are seeing him in the twilight of his career now, and it's almost come at the wrong time for this team because if he was the player he was a couple of seasons ago... I think they would certainly be a lot better off. So I guess the point I'd make with regards to that is the next step for Arsenal, because I think they do have to get like a European place to make this possible, but is to make those world-class signings. Because I don't think anyone really in the team at the moment who are young, you would necessarily say are going to be the world-class players of the game. I think all of them will get to a very good level, especially those like Saka and Smith Rowe. They are obviously players with a lot of quality, but I think just the next step to take them beyond that is to get a couple players of like a De Bruyne, a Salah, that sort of level. And I know it's hard to attract those sort of players, so maybe they've got to get them in a bit younger, but I just think that's the thing that will finally take them forward. A a, a talismanic figure, if you like. Moving on then, and... One of the other big results again from the weekend was Chelsea quite comfortably dismantling Leicester at Leicester, 3-0. Goals coming courtesy of Antonio Rudiger and Golo Conte and Christian Pulisic. Chelsea stayed top of the league with that 3-0 win. And 
I suppose the first thing I want to get stuck into really, and it's something that's been impressive now for not just yesterday's game, but probably for the best part of the last month and a bit is Chelsea's wingbacks and Reese James and Ben Chilwell. I think Reese James is currently their top goal scorer, which <laughs> feels incredible to say when you think of, I know he's been injured, but they've got the likes of Romelu Lukaku and Timo Werner and Kai Havertz up front. What is so impressive about those two wingbacks in particular for you two? How impressed have you been with their performances to date? They're obviously both fantastic players, first and foremost. So it's no surprise that they are contributing as they're given this license to be more free further up the field. I think especially Reese James, he impresses me so much at the moment. His just ability to play like sort of anywhere on that right-hand side, because it's a weird one. He seems to drift in centrally as well and almost play like a, a centre defensive midfielder's role. But yeah, he seems to have everything in his game that you could want as a player, to be honest. He was unlucky, if anything, not to get another goal yesterday. Obviously had one ruled out for offside, which was fair enough. He can shoot, he can cross, he can dribble. He's excellent defensively. Uh, It's going to be hard to say that Trent is actually ahead of him in that pecking order for England when it comes comes to it in, in a year or so's time, looking at the squad for, world, for the World Cup. But yeah, Chilwell as well. I think he's he's one of the best um, left wing backs in the Prem at the moment as well. Probably doing a better job than, than Luke Shaw. Well, yeah, I think that's quite fair, actually. Shaw has been quite poor since the turn of that Euros. But yeah, they're, they're essential to everything Chelsea are doing at the moment. Tuchel clearly knows what he's doing with regards to managing in the squad he clearly knows where the strengths are and yeah like it's nothing but praise for them is there yeah for me obviously they're both technically excellent players but I think particularly Reese James although maybe that's harsh on Chilwell I think for both of them what impresses me most is the the tactical understanding of the position and their flexibility within it you know fullback has suddenly changed a lot over the years but I think if you look at the way that James in particular, as Arnold says, sometimes he can drift into midfield. Sometimes he's playing as, you know, almost the furthest man forward, wide on the right. The way that they've quickly understood, and this applies to pretty much every Chelsea player, to be honest, the way that Tuchel wants to play and how they interact with their other teammates and how they can exploit weaknesses in the opposition in different ways is very, very impressive. And that's a testament, obviously, to Thomas Tuchel. He's come in really not that long ago and you see the impact that he's been able to have over you know not not even a year yet where you know other managers have had years and years and not been able to come close to the cohesion that he's already brought together and then obviously a testament to those individual players as well and how they've adapted their game to suit the system and improve really improve individually as well I mean yeah Reese James for a while now has been, you know, kind of right since he came through, was always considered to be a very good young prospect. But I don't think people would have expected him to be, you know, competing on the level that people like Alexander Arnold are. And I think what Arnold says there about, you know, James being a real competitor to someone like Trent and, you know, in, in some ways maybe being better is very fair. And I think he's looking right now like he could be England's future right back where, Really not that long ago, all eyes were saying, well, it has to be Trent at some point. It's worth mentioning as well that this freedom given to these wingbacks comes from the solidity of that midfield and defence. Certainly the three-back that Chelsea are playing, Rudiger's been fantastic since Tuchel's come in. Before that, there was links of him going elsewhere and... 
to be fair, I think he was very poor before he came in, but now he's almost like one of the best players in his position in the game, which is quite incredible, to be honest. Something that was criticised criticised under Lampard was that midfield partnership. I know Jorginho, during his time, was heavily criticised because he almost didn't offer the defensive capabilities that you'd want in a defensive midfield player or other aspects beyond passing that you would really want. But I think all of those players that play, that are playing those roles, Loftus-Cheek, Jorginho, Kante, Kovacic, are really playing well in those centre midfield roles at the moment. And it is just a testament to Tuchel that they are doing so well. And worth noting that they have conceded very few goals this season. Yeah, I think one thing that's so impressive for me with Chelsea's midfield is that they, generally speaking, only play two men in the central midfield. And yet they're so dominant in terms of possession and in terms of controlling the game. I think the way that every single player understands his position and the position of those around them and the, you know, the interchangeability of those players is wholly impressive. And so much of that does come down to Tuchel. I thought, um, speaking about central midfield, I thought Kante was really interesting to watch this weekend. Yeah, he was playing so high up the pitch at times. And I remember one instance, I, I don't think they scored from this, but he made a, he made a run right down the centre from quite a deep position, got in behind Leicester's defenders and Jorginho picked him out with a brilliant long-range pass. And that's something that, you know, I think when, when Maurizio Sarri came into Chelsea, he, you know, he obviously brought in Jorginho, he sat at the base of midfield and he pushed Kante into a you know, more forward-based central midfield position. And people said, oh, well, no, that's not, that's not going to work. Kante should be in front of the fence. He should be screening them. That's what he does best. But I think that this is a really good example that you know, Kante can still use his, you know, his ball-winning skills high up the pitch and, you know, still provide, you know, a, a good direct threat and a, you know, ball-carrying presence as well and a fair play higher up the pitch. Shifting the focus to Leicester, they've slumped to their fifth defeat of the season now already. It seemed to be that they almost turned a corner when they beat Manchester United 4-2 a couple of weeks ago. Although, to be fair, at the moment, anyone can beat us. So I don't know if you can read too much into that particular result. But... They certainly are having a worse season in, in comparison, particularly to the last two where they were right up, at the, especially early in the se- in both of those seasons. They were challenging right at the top of the league and, and look set, guaranteed even to qualify for the Champions League. What do we think going on this season? Why do we think they've started so slowly? Is it just injuries? I, I know they've got a couple of players out at the moment. I know Tielemans was out yesterday, for instance. Is it injuries? Is it, I suppose, the addition of the Europa League games this season? catching up with them finally what do we think it is injuries have played a massive part for sure because a few of their best players have been out for long periods of time looking beyond Tielemans I'm especially focusing on Fafana who was excellent last season but even beyond that Harvey Barnes has had his struggles with injury and doesn't really look the same player that he was at his peak last season can't remember there's a oh Madison Madison's been in and out of the team with injuries for about the past year whenever he plays he seems to bring something different to the team but he's just not playing enough I guess and then obviously James Justin was one of their best players last season I know that potentially might not be the most influential position at times although we are seeing it having more of an effect Bertrand's certainly a worse option in that position than he was that is coupled with 
some statistics like them overperforming their expected goals. I know last season, Iheanacho, for instance, was scoring almost double what he was expected to. So I think that does come down to like form and confidence of the team. They're clearly lacking a bit of confidence at the moment. The final point I'd make is I think we hyped up their summer a bit too much because you actually look at the players they bought in. And very few of those players are necessarily improvements. And what I mean by that is I think they're all very good signings. Don't get me wrong. It's just they're all towards the under 23 mark and therefore look more to be signings for the future rather than the now. And I think because of those injuries, they've had to rely on these players a bit more than they perhaps would have liked to. And just they haven't really actually bought in anybody who you would say is like a sure on starter or improves the squad massively, whereas previous seasons they potentially have. And I think other teams around them have definitely strengthened in that way. Yeah, I think Leicester just, to me, the whole squad looks a little unsettled and unbalanced at the moment. And I think injuries surely must have played a part in that. As Arnold says, you know, They've brought in players, but, you know, they're they're young players, mostly new to the league, obviously new to the club as well. So, and with the injuries, they've had to rely on some of those a little bit more, maybe give them a little bit more game time in recent weeks than they, you know, might otherwise have gotten. Maybe they'd have had a bit more chance to kind of bed in slowly. Yeah, I mean, obviously injuries to players like James Madison, you know, key players is going to have a big impact too. And I think, these these absences in certain positions have really had a knock-on effect throughout the whole team and they just I think particularly defensively they just seem to be all a little bit out of kilter at the moment you know that in the I mean obviously Chelsea were very good and have been very good all season but there were just big big gaps in that defense and you know misunderstandings between between players and it just it's not what we've come to expect from Leicester because they've been a very well-oiled machine you know, for quite a long time now under Brendan Rodgers. And they just, yeah, they, the, the squad does seem to just be a little more unsettled, you know, really from the, from the start of this season. And I don't think there's any, you know, any panic stations at Leicester, but there's definitely something that needs to be addressed. Do you think it would be a fair point to say that perhaps some of those players have played beyond potentially their ability. I've obviously mentioned Ian Acho and his fantastic scoring form at the end of last season. I believe someone said he was a um, prolific goal scorer in the, in the division. You know, proven Premier League quality. But we won't go into that. I'm more <laughs> meaning, so like, someone like Soyuncu, who entered the game quite a, you know, quite a hot property, really played quite well, and then actually potentially hasn't hit the heights we'd expect of him was maybe overhyped because of his youth and actually like there's a few players like that in this squad so potentially they're just more close to what we should have expected but just because they've had these heights potentially we've overestimated them do you think that would be a fair reflection i think that's reasonable a point i was going to make it's not quite the same as yours but i think it's somewhat similar is i kind of think leicester is suffering a bit from obviously the last couple of seasons they've had you know they've They've just missed out on Champions League the last couple of years, haven't they? And they've had some very good seasons. And I almost feel Leicester, unless unless big changes come, you know, properly big signings beyond what Leicester Bernardo achieved to this point in the window, and they've always kind of hit the limit of what maybe they can achieve. And I do think that can have a strange impact on a squad when, you know, they've last two seasons, they've narrowly missed out on Champions League. And, you know, they've 
as Arnold says, they've made on the surface level good signings this year, but it's more in terms of preparing for the future, adding squad depth, you know, allowing for more rotation in the team, which is obviously important. And I think those will serve good purposes for Leicester, but I don't think they've necessarily levelled up as a team in the signings that they've been able to make over the last window or two. And yeah, it's, it, it can create a strange kind of, I'm not, I'm not really sure the word, a strange situation for a team when they're in a position like that, I think. No, I guess, I guess the worry you'd have for Leicester is if they can't maintain the levels they have hit, is that they're going to lose some of these bigger players. Certainly, like, the links have always been there for Ndidi and Tielemans to move on. But surely it's only a matter of time. Those two specifically are fantastic players. Who do you think would take them? I, I think most teams. Yeah, I agree. I think they, both of those two could probably play for any team in the Premier League. I'm not necessarily saying that Tielemans is, or Ndidi is better than a player in the same position at Liverpool or Manchester City, for example. But if they were to, you know, if one of those players, well, sorry, one of those teams were to lose a player in that position, I think Ndidi or Tielemans could come in and do an equally good job to, you know, a lot of players, even at teams of that calibre. Surely you'd take either of them at United, Gray. 100%. I mean, that Ndidi, for instance, is an obvious upgrade on Fred or McTominay or Matic, anyone there. And Tielemans as well. I think the only thing I'd say with Tielemans is does he get it? If you bring him into that current squad at the moment, does he get in ahead of Bruno? Well, I'm sure he's playing a different position. Yeah, I think it's a different position. I think he's more, more box-to-box than an actual attacking midfielder. Okay, so I you'd have him. It's... Sorry, so you'd have him sorry. play alongside like an Ndidi and then someone else in a, in like a midfield three. Then you could play him alongside Fernandez and Ndidi. Yeah, I think I think if you had Ndidi and Tielemans in a double pivot behind Fernandez, it doesn't solve all of United's problems because I think there's still you know defensive and pressing issues with the wingers, but they are a notably better team with that double pivot in as opposed to say. I don't know, uh, Fred and McTominay or Fred and Pogba, Fred and Van der Beek, whatever it, whatever it is. That is a much better balanced and better quality duo. I think that's far closer stylistically to the likes of Liverpool's midfield, to be fair, especially with Fabinho, the holding, Henderson or Oxlade-Chamberlain as like the progressive, you know, and then like an attacking midfielder almost. Yeah. And that works really well. Definitely. I think like you said, Tom, the key word there is balance. I think Tielemans would add more balance to that midfield than what we, the United, have at the moment. So it's an interesting one. Who knows? Maybe come the summer, depending on who actually is given the, the keys to Old Trafford, they might look at Leicester as a, as a club to, to poach players from. We will have to wait and see. But I was going to say, obviously, Rogers has been linked himself, hasn't he? So uh, maybe if he were to take up that mantle, he'd look at bringing a few players in from Leicester, which is normally the way with managers who go to a different club. They always look at their old club. So the potential is always there. Yeah, a very fair point once again, actually. Yeah. Looking elsewhere in the Premier League for results this weekend, I think we have to give a special mention to the the two free-all draws that we saw yesterday, the first of which came in Eddie Howe's first game in charge of Newcastle, Newcastle against Brentford, the second free-all draw coming in for Burnley against Crystal Palace. I want to again give a special mention to Maxwell Corne, who seems to be continuing this amazing goal-scoring run that he's on at the moment. It'll be interesting to see how much longer he can keep up his, his exploits in front of goal for. Steven Gerrard won his first game in charge of Aston Villa at home to Brighton, winning two 2-0. 
Norwich also won the first game of their manager, Dean Smith's reign, 2-1 at home to Southampton, making it back-to-back wins for the Canaries for the first time this season. Wolves beat West Ham at Molyneux, 1-0, thanks to Raul Jimenez's second half goal. And just as a benefit to the listener out there, we're recording this podcast on a Sunday at the moment. So we've already seen Manchester City win 3-0 at home today against Everton, but Spurs versus Leeds is still ongoing. I actually just saw a notification come from on my phone to say that Leeds are winning 1-0, which... Is not going to do any wonders for my fantasy team, as we'll come on to shortly. But just covering the rest of the games there, is there anything that you two want to, to just highlight out of those other results? Well, it was a really good weekend of football overall, wasn't it? Some really high scoring games. You said it was Eddie Howe's first game, but I, I think we have to say he wasn't actually there. If he was, it's probably a win. <laughs> no bias here. But yeah, certainly like Gerard's first game, I think they were a lot more in it than I'd have expected them to be had they been managed by Smith so yeah he's a really exciting manager and certainly deserved a job of that caliber given his exploits at Rangers and then on the flip side of it Dean Smith getting a really good result for Norwich so yeah some really positive managerial things going on in the game I guess but yeah good good weekend of football overall in my opinion. Yeah, I don't necessarily have a huge amount to say about the Norwich game, but I feel like I kind of have to have to address it a bit. You know, it's obviously good news, Dean Smith coming in and getting a first win. And it was nice to see Gilmore and Cantwell back in the team, you know, particularly, particularly Billy Gilmore coming in. I thought he was excellent on the weekend. I do think the partnership of him and Norman in midfield could be quite exciting for Norwich because I think there are, you know, there are areas of Norwich's squad that maybe are not... Uh, not at the level of some of the other Premier League teams. And I think even though they've got two wins on the bounce now, they're still they're still going to be one of the favourites to go down. But the partnership of Gilmore and Norman in midfield is one area where I think they do have genuine quality to compete with, you know, some of the more reasonable sides in the league. And if they can get a good partnership going there this season, that could be, you know, some, something to build upon, you know, right in the core of the team is, you know, that could be extremely important for them. I think that Norwich team selection was a lot more bold from Dean Smith to be fair because I think Fark something that I criticized him of certainly was his unwillingness to give these new signings a chance and certainly you saw a few more of them coming into the team as you say Gilmore I believe Brandon Williams was playing left back Rashica was in from the start so yeah it was a very positive and bold selection by Smith and obviously paid its dividends Well, finishing, as always, with our usual fantasy football segment. As I say, there is one game that is still ongoing, so the final points totals will yet to be decided. But as it stands, I am sitting on 49 points. How are you two both doing for this weekend? Well, I I hit 68 points. Salah again, captaincy was all right. Actually, quite a disappointing one when you look around the players you you could have had us as a captain. It was definitely a high-scoring week in general, I think. I free-hitted because I actually knew the person I was up against really used their wild card this week, so I thought I had to sort of react. And if I hadn't, I think my team would have been a lot worse off for it. Yeah, so I've got um, 73 points this week. So I think, you know, a good, a good week for me. I also had Salah as captain, so that's, you know, some nice, easy, cheap points there. And then I think it was a good week for me with defenders. I think that's what's kind of done it for me. I, Trent Alexander-Arnold obviously got one or two assists in the Liverpool game and then Antonio Rudiger scoring for Chelsea as well. So, 
It's one of those ones where uh, I think Rudiger's probably a little bit more luck than Trent. I obviously have Trent in because I know he gets assists. Rudiger's one of those lucky ones for me this week that he got himself on the score sheet. If I could have just remembered to take Romelu Lukaku out, I might have had a very, very good week this week. But you've got Soinchu out of your team, please tell me. No, no, he's still there as well. And no. Bruno Fernandes. So, and Alan. So I am doing, I'm doing shockingly well with a shockingly poor team. That is annoyingly good to know, Tom. Annoyingly good. Has anyone else made the same mistake? Well, it seems like the same mistake as me is hedging your bets on Spurs having a bit of a mini revival under Conte. Of course, that could still happen, but given the halftime result in the Leeds Spurs game at the moment, I mean, I've got Harry Kane and Eric Dyer in my team. I, I've kind of got a longer term view to some of the fixtures they've got coming up as well, but as Kane Kane's my captain, so it's not it's not going particularly well so far. <laughs> we need a big performance second half. I did bring in Son last week and similarly captain him last week with the thought that they would be a little bit better. I think you have to say that it is going to take time because Conte is going to have such an individual way of playing. So potentially that's why we haven't seen them in that similar sense of like a Conte team, not conceding goals, good in attack, stuff like that. He does seem to get the most out of his, his strikers. So I think that will come eventually, just maybe a bit too early at the moment. But yeah, I, I certainly understand the Kane decision. Hopefully you didn't make it just because of those performances against San Marino and Albania. <laughs> no, in all fairness, he came in last week. Oh, well, not say last week, the week before the um the international break. So yeah, those those international games didn't didn't influence my decision, thankfully. Of course. <laughs> Before we go, I actually want to give a bit of a shout out. James, you know, drew my attention to this before we started the podcast. Owen Brown has absolutely fluked it this week with 87 points. Give a bit of a shout out to him. With a strike force of Alan St. Maximan and Christian Benteke. I have no idea how you've managed that at all. I mean, looking at your team right now, you've, you've got Andros Townsend and Carl Walker-Peters. And it's just, ah, oh, I don't know. How have you got 87 points from that team is beyond me. I really don't know, but fair play to you. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. He's, he's done well there. Certainly won't be troubling us in the latter stages of the season, though, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Bless him. Anyway, boys, thank you very much for joining me this evening to record this episode. It's been a really good one this week. A lot of good result. Well, a lot of big scoring games. Obviously, the breaking news about Solskjaer to get stuck into. So thank you very much for giving up your time to speak about that. As always, listener, if you would like to get involved with any of the discussions, any of the debates that we've had in tonight's episode, then you can do so by following us on our social media. And if you'd like us to talk about any particular topics that you've got in mind, then just let us know by sending us a message on our social medias. Or if you actually check our podcast out on Spotify, there should be a little area within the episode where you can submit your suggestions to us. So please do that if you have anything that comes to mind. As always, we will be back next week to record yet another episode of the Lopsided Podcast, of the Lopsided Free Podcast. Get the You'll name get there wrong. eventually. You'll get there eventually, Greg. <laughs> he doesn't want to finish. He's enjoying it too no, much. No, he doesn't. It has it's... been a good episode, to be fair. It has. It's been Great a good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, then, listener, we will see you next week. Until then, bye bye. Cheerio, chaps. Bye. <laughs>